blasting down both barrels at ultraviolet maximum, searing through the servo skull of injustice. We are the last bolt of rebellion. 665.66 UHMR Camrat Radio. Coming to you live tonight from Misfit Alley. With an unhealthy amount of clown boys down here. Food riots have broken out in the Fellhaven, Rockshire, and Talso Habstacks, along with the Ministorium ration script. They have fallen in value about 30 points. A uh, little bit of an ouchie there. And the scuttlebutt around the underhive says that there's a house war over the growing water prices. We actually have a live feed from one of the warmongers. Let's see what he has to say to the other gang. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. And Jack left town. Sounds like it's not going too well. It's got to be two hits, me hitting you, you hitting the fucking floor. It's almost like they're not surrounded by fucking ice. Hey, man, at least the air down here ain't trying to fucking kill us. I'd rather be this close to the ice than stuck in the upper sub-levels where the air recycle has been out for the third week in a row. Try to stick to the hab stacks, market districts, or find someone with an ice hall hivers. Temperatures are set to hit record numbers all next week. Yeah, those ration cuts and water prices are pretty high. Wonder about how long until the whole hive becomes a big old murder ball arena. I think we'll call that night Battle Royale. (laughs) (laughs) Strap yourselves in, keep your arms, legs, and other noodly appendages inside the ride at all times, as I am your unhinged, wild-eyed, crazy driver, Goblin King. Barely kept in check by my crew of mischief and mayhem, keeping us barely on time, nowhere near our given schedule, and as far from the mapped ice routes as possible as our map-phobic navigator, Marky. Hola. Ootas. Map-phobe. Holding those ice leeches at bay with a double-fisted barrage of scatter cannon grape shot is the sanest member of this dor- disorganized caravan beast. Thrilled. And dislodging almost as much ice as I managed to drive directly into, you're welcome, is our melta-brained laser specialist, Kev. Hey, as long as it's sterile and I like the taste. <laughs> I love the smell of my pump in the morning. <laughs> so welcome to Under the Hive of Madness. This is episode 50, and we are returning to the Eldari faction to talk about my favorite sub-faction, the Exodites. Although the Exodites have been mentioned in lore since pretty much the beginning, with the first mentions happening in the second edition rulebook, they've never had much more than just a smattering of rules here or there. It's kind of aggravating because a lot of the Imperium's understanding of how Eldar society is built actually comes from... uh, uh Sorry. Finger slipped. (laughs) (laughs) So the Imperium's understanding of how Eldar society is built comes from interactions mostly with Exodites and the colonies of human settlers that have made a home on the Maiden Worlds. In contrast, however, the Imperium's understanding of how Eldar go to war is based largely on military conflicts against the craft worlds or piratical raids, pirate raids. Piratical raids? Piratical raids. We're going Piratical. With word. No, that's not with, even made up. That's a real word. Oh, perfect. With the Drukari. This kind of means that the Exodites are hinted at a lot and seen a little. 
Back in 3rd edition, there was a series of white dwarves and some chapter-approved publications that had shown conversions and rules for making Exodite Dragoons. These, I believe, were for you to run in place of bikes. They weren't a standalone. They were just like, a, hey, here's a thing you can do. These are Eldar riding dinosaurs, although the Eldar called them dragons, and this started my personal fascination with wanting to make an entire Exodite army. I mean, dino riders are pretty big when we were kids, and... Uh, of course, you know, just dinosaurs yeah. are fucking cool as shit in general. Dinosaurs right? are cool. Except elves suck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, el- elves do, but elves also have their own charm. I'll give them that. My favorite thing about elves and Eldar is making and fun of them. I know. It's, it's really just <laughs> so easy to make fun of them. And, like, I don't know, you either, that, that you either love them. Right there? You either love them or you hate them. There's like no in between. You're either like, "Wow, they're great," or you're like, "Ugh." <laughs> yeah, for, for me, it's like they're too. They're like not not obnoxious. They're uh, is it pompous? Is pompous? pompous? Is pompous yeah, arrogant. And, pompous. Yeah. 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 and and that just is a big turnoff for me. I mean, unless it's unless you know they're naked, then maybe. Then well, I, yeah. yeah. Then <laughs> is you, that the goal with all Xenos? Just put a get gag naked. Ball in their mouth. Yeah. And then it's not too bad. That's why the Dark Eldar, you know, Dark Eldar, I can digest a little bit better, but uh, just regular straight up Eldar, I don't know. They're a little too hey, too hey. arrogant for me. But you got to remember, they're just a few good sessions away from turning into a Dark Eldar. Uh, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> you press the so right kinda, button the right way. I know, kind of going on with um, Tom. You sort of hinted at though, yeah. I, I think you're right. I think I think pretty early on you make a decision as to whether or not you're you like elves or not. Yeah. And yeah. I actually really liked elves um, back when my dad actually read all the Lord of the Rings books to me when I was a little kid. So I really liked elves, and it's weird because the older I've gotten, the more I like dwarves. Uh, now I'm pretty much more a dwarf fan well, than I am an That's elf because fan, but... as you get older and grumpier, you're more and more <laughs> identifying with dwarves. Really, 100% really. myself. The younger I was, the more I liked elves. And the older I get, the more I like dwarves. You really, <laughs> yeah. really are not wrong. <laughs> yeah. The longer yeah. my beard gets, the older I get, the grumpier I get, the more I'm like, yeah, dwarves, living, dwarves, in, a, living in a hole in the ground and telling everybody else to go fuck themselves is a great way to live. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think the wifey contributes to my my hatred for elves. She was the uh, she's a big Lego Lost fan, and I'm just like, yeah, fuck them. Yeah, yeah, they're just too delicate for me. That's like, I hate to say it, but I'm literally I've always been on the human side. Like you know, when it comes to like medieval, like because that was my thing, oh, like yeah, fantasy. Yeah. You know, fantasy had their just- time. Yeah, well, fantasy is just glorified medieval times. So, of course, I'm going to be like, yeah, knights? Yeah, I'm about that life. You know what I mean? Let me guess. Tom's fantasy faction was Britannia. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know the, the fantasy faction. Oh, they're, they're the there's, knights, essentially. There's literally, yeah, so, so the empires is basically, like, situated Central Europe. And uh, to the west of them, on the other side of a mountain range, lies the... Uh, the for, the grasslands of Britannia, ruled yeah. by literally kings and knights. Yeah, yeah, peasants. okay. So yes, so yes, yeah. That that's that's it. That, and they have a forest at the south end of their area, and then that forest turns into where the wood elves live. It's the forest of Athaloran, and that's where you have 
uh, like the tree folk and all that kind of stuff. Living. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then, yeah. yes. Yeah. That'll and, do. And uh, it's also the lady of the the lady of the lake, essentially the the Warhammer equivalent of the lady of the lake lives at that kind of area as well. Yeah. And that's Perfect. who all the knights and everybody like that's their god. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I think the closer the the closer like I personally get to fantasy, the more I want to stay like the more I steer clear from like a. Uh, humanoid uh no humanoid's probably the wrong word uh from like human ish factions like uh you, skaven have really you grown beastie. on me you're, yeah, you're like a beastie I, player yeah yeah I, I don't like uh orcs i guess like i mean i don't know it seems well, a you're not playing to... orc orcs you're playing little baby goblins and giant fucking troll yeah. things it's yeah. not it's not the same kind of orcs yeah i think the closest thing i'd get to like a human looking thing would probably be like the giant army the one that tom was uh pretty interested in also yeah like, just because it's cool. yeah i turn them into like ice giants or fire giants i think that'd look pretty dope. oh yeah frost trolls Hercules shits Hercules yeah that's shit. what that's what i always wanted to do like uh titans oh that'd be cool but yeah, anyway elves yeah i've always liked the i've always liked the exodites it, it's kind of interesting because i have like kind of i have a kind of like split when it comes to elves, I I really like I really like playing with elves as a story device, and there's a lot of elves stuff that I I find interesting. I like Exodus yeah. quite a bit. I think I like they Eldar make a great a story device. Yeah, but I also as as the Goblin King, my wasteland weapon, um, my my big axe also has fuck elves carved into it because I'm the Goblin King, and goblins and elves don't really get along. <laughs> I thought but. goblins and dwarves didn't get along. Goblins well, don't get along. I guess that's goblins and everybody. Goblins, yeah, goblins don't really, uh, not even, not even uh, orcs, right? <laughs> yeah, nope, okay. nope. Fuck it's all like y'all. <laughs> yeah. In uh, in fantasy, war- orcs and goblins have like a mutual understanding. Yeah, but it's it's not as it's not as they get along like they don't get along as well as orcs and grots in forty k. Yeah, where that's yeah, more like a symbiotic like, relationship. Yeah, where 40k, yeah. It's, it's turned into a symbiotic thing, and that makes sense considering that they have to like get on starships together and stuff. Whereas in fantasy, it's more They're like kind of oh, opposed okay. to each other. Yeah, we we share territory in a way, like we don't like kill each other in the in this you know same way, but they kind of keep to each other in a way. Yeah. But when we get a little bit more into like world building and talking about fantasy worlds and sci-fi worlds and the way to set them up and stuff, we'll probably come back to the there. There's kind of like a trio, if you will, of pretty can standard character uh, or not characters races, races when it comes to building yeah. a fantasy world. That's humans, elves, and dwarves. So we'll definitely hit some of these topics again. But to to jump directly into the Exodites, they are a sub-faction of the Eldari that saw the signs of the slow slide towards inevitable cataclysm of Eldari society millennia before the fall of the Eldari. Exodites took on a self-exile and moved far from the core worlds of the Empire to the Maiden Worlds. These are worlds that were terraformed and seeded with life by Eldari society. They further isolated themselves from the growing corruption and hedonism of the core worlds. Exodites live comparatively pre-industrialized lives when compared to their kin, like the Assyriani and Drakari. Having chosen to abandon the automation and labor-saving technology advances that allowed the 
abundant free time needed to foster boredom and lead to hedonism. They strive for spiritual health by pursuing hard labor and focusing on personal survival. They strive for spiritual health by pursuing hard labor and focusing on personal survival. Exodites also rely on psychoactive crystalline technology to protect their souls after death from the hungering attentions of Slanish. Their worlds are covered in networks of megalithic structures like standing stone circles and other massive constructs. These world shrines, as they call them, are places where an Exodite's soul can be transferred from their soul stone to the crystalline network of the world spirit. Wasn't it like, uh, for Exodites, wasn't, isn't it like a tree or something like that, as opposed to like a big psychic like pool of shit? It can take on... The craft worlds have the infinity circuit, so it's like a giant right. crystal matrix. And then right. it's kind of implied that it's kind of like a little world tree or a mother tree. Mm, like but Avatar it's never, Yeah, but it's never... I think it's been implied... Hard. Yeah. I think it's been implied post Avatar that it's a tree. Uh, mm. In the infinite and the divine, it's the system. It's the root system of a tree, and there's actually a big crystal in the middle of the roots, deep okay. underground. Okay. So, and, so and it 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 can take different forms. They call it the world spirit, uh, and usually you go underground to commune with it. So, um, I think it kind of takes on whatever you want. Combination of the Avatar tree and the yeah. Gaia spirit from the uh, the really old Final Fantasy spirits within movie. <laughs> or, or, or the game or the game legacy of gaia from the super nes era so when you think <laughs> like uh when you think exodites you're thinking essentially uh avatar the movie uh it's a good it's a good framework to hang it on or, yeah right yeah but like with with elves instead of big blue people i always kind of thought of it as space wood elves that yeah it's it's a little mm-hmm. bit it's a little bit more like that i i We'll get into we'll get into all of this stuff in detail as we move through the episode, but yeah, if you want to if you want a framework to hang everything on now, those are good places to start. Yeah, it's always a good thing to start with Elf when you're starting with anything Eldar. Think Elf, because yep. yep. those 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 kind of tropes still hold true. They're more dex based, you know. A lot they're, of a lot they're of all about finesse. They're arrogant, like all those. They like to fuck a lot. <laughs> that's just everything that you want to talk about marky no no <laughs> i mean <laughs> well you, you have to think about it in 40 in 40k yeah. if you're not reproducing on a massive scale you're just not going to keep up with the kind of conflict that yeah, hold, 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 hold up time out hold, hold, hold up all right. <laughs> all right like think about it yeah, like, if they, guardsmen are marched to their death on the I'll, I'll hit you with it <laughs> <laughs> They, that's how they got into this mess, all right? So you can't tell me they don't fuck a lot, all right? And so <laughs> yeah, They might not anymore. They all, like, so, psychically chastity belted themselves. They're, they're on the, they're on the, the, what do you, like, the... the they're Frontier. Almost, yeah. <laughs> they're, like, they're dying out. They're the essentially a dying race, right? Yeah. Yes. Clearly, they don't fuck enough. So as we covered in our Eldari faction series, the fall of the Eldari happened somewhere in the 30th millennium. So we're talking like M29, M30. The events ended their dominion over an empire that had united the Milky Way galaxy for millennia, paving the way for humanity's future rise as a galactic power. The birth of Slanish had a few other massive effects specifically that kind of helped humanity out. 
Oddly enough, the first one was the creation of the Eye of Terror. The creation of the Eye of Terror drew a bunch of warp stuff all to one place and removed it from places that it had been kind of blocking other advances. The other thing that happened when the Eye was born was it caused a lot of the warp storms in places around the galaxy to come, including some of those that had stood in the way of the Emperor's plans for humanity. At the time that the Eye of Terror was born, there was a warp storm that actually separated Earth from Mars. So that's why the cult of Mars and the Imperium are kind of like separate but equal entities because they had existed alone for long enough that by the time the Emperor had the chance to unite them, he didn't really have the chance of being like, fuck you, bitch, I own you. He had the chance of, please, sir, can I have another? Well, they were, they were a united planet. It wasn't like right, he had yeah. to show up and unite a bunch of divided factions. He showed up yeah. and was like, okay, they were ready to y'all go. are useful. Can we work yeah. together? He, and he kind of had to be in that position. We'll, we'll talk about that yeah. more when we cover. Uh, that's, that's a whole Mechanicus separate Mechanicus thing. Yeah. Yeah. So not only did the center of their empire fall, becoming the demon worlds of the Eye of Terror, but billions of Eldari died in the first few seconds of this birth further weakening even their surviving factions. So even though, you know, the Eldar are still around, the Eldar are not in a good place. Also kind of keep in mind that we we talk about them often as a race in decline, and that's kind of how they're framed. But it's been comparatively small. For, for a race that, in theory, controlled the galaxy for millions of years... They've only been not the top dog for 10,000 years. Um, and, and as to where that's bad and as to where they're definitely on their back foot, it's one of those weird things because they talk about, you know, when we covered the craft world specifically, we talked about the fact that some of the craft worlds have grown upwards of like 10 to 15% since the fall. So the Eldari population is expanding. It was just knocked back pretty damn far. You know, they're, they're down on their knees, uh, if not laying on the mat getting counted over right now. Just like I like my hopes. <laughs> so, Exodites, <laughs> so Exodites had actually predicted the coming of Slanish thousands of years before the events of M30. Exodite is a term that while now largely has been adopted as and is used by the entire faction, was coined originally by members of Eldari High Society. Exodites mainly came from those Eldari already living from the far, living far from the Crone Worlds, the Crone Worlds being the center of the Empire, what's now the Eye of Terror. And this gave them the perspective that they needed to see the decadence and hedonism that was consuming their kin. So Exodites were people who were already living on the frontier. They were already living harder lives. They were already, they had that, distance needed to see that was what was going on you know it, it, it's very it's it's a common thing that we can look at even in current modern society you know people who live more survivalistic lifestyles have a tendency to have a different viewpoint of people who live in a lap of luxury it's two different mindsets it's two different states of being so Exodites also came from several different places. There were those who saw the coming psychic backlash, those who were inside Eldari society who were just very learned and saw what was coming and who were able to convince those around them that there was danger coming. And then those that were perhaps 
driven insane by the kind of like psychic pre-tremor. So if you just think, just like an earthquake, before the, as this was building up and building up and building up, there's a bunch of strain being put on the immaterium and the Eldari being people who exist kind of in between places. They're in the material world, but in the material realm, but they interface with the psychic realm, the immaterium so much. There are people who are just like, they're getting this feedback in their mind constantly as everything's building up, as, as what would become slanish is just growing and growing and growing and growing, and it's fucking with their brains. It's driving them a little bit crazy. Do you imagine just like watching everybody around you partying and slowly your migraine is just getting worse and worse and worse? And, and it's you just going on for, well, And like, at first you wouldn't really know why. Right. And then eventually you'd like make a connection that it's like worse when you're near people who are partying. And like, yeah. you'd be like, man, that's fucking weird. What? Maybe they should stop partying. And then or, <laughs> eventually or maybe like, I should get as far away from this party as possible. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then there were those that were rugged survivalists, as I mentioned, that preferred a more hardship strewn challenge. Uh, you know, again, there are people who like, we, we talked about this in Loris Obscurus, there are people who just like living in the wilderness. There are frontiers people. That's just what they prefer. And some of the Exodites, some of the people that make up the core of what became the Exodites, that was just them. They already lived on frontier worlds. They were already colonists. They were already fringers. They are already didn't want to be involved with the decadence of the middle of Eldari society. At the time, the core of Eldari society saw all of these people as a puritanical faction of fanatics, and they largely ignored them whenever they did come and interact with Eldari society. So even when they would come and try to be like, hey guys, uh, maybe you should like notch it down a few levels. Here's some evidence we found. You know, I've been studying the tomes. Here's what I saw. They'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. You guys, you guys just want to stop our party, man. We're just trying to get our party on. It's implied that the Exodites grew from a core of settlers and frontiers people. So because there were these settlers and frontiers people that already lived this lifestyle and there were people in the core of Eldari society that were seeing this, they kind of slowly, through the nature of the way that the Eldari colonized stuff, they kind of, all of these people who kind of felt that way and just wanted a quieter, simpler life kind of trickled out to these frontier worlds. They got further and further and further away from the core worlds, kind of seeking these harder lives in these quieter settings because they didn't want to be around what was happening. The, 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 elfin, the elven Amish. Yeah, in a lot of ways. As the core world slipped more and more into hedonism, more of those who lived in and nearer to them saw the coming danger, and they abandoned the core worlds and started to migrate to the harder and more dangerous frontier worlds. While the Exodites remained untainted from the path of damnation, which is the path that the Jukari follow, which we'll talk about when we cover the Jukari, and survived the collapse of Eldari society completely or almost completely untouched, they also make up one of the smallest populations of the Eldari people. So even though the Exodites pretty much weathered this all untouched, they weren't a huge population to begin with, and they're still not a huge population. There are more craft worlders than Exodites now, even though not many Exodites died at all. Yeah, that's a really small percentage. Consider, I yeah. mean, most of the craft worlds were fucked, right? Well, mo the, so craft worlds, most of the most of the crone worlds, all, all of all the, the crone, crone worlds, worlds became demon got worlds. Screwed. 
Yeah. And like half of the craft worlds were too close when the fall happened. They weren't, they didn't get far enough away. So if you guys want to go back and listen to, we did, uh, we did a three episode spread on the Eldari faction, but kind of in brief, the Exodites left first, the craft worlders saw it coming second and started leaving, but the craft worlders started leaving like a couple of years to a couple of months before the birth of Slanish. So very, very quickly. Um, and a lot of them make it and a lot of them didn't make it. It kind of think of like, it's almost like a Noah's Ark story. You know, they started making arcs to get away and only half the arcs survived essentially. So like a, uh, a certain scenario of, uh, Psyka, you dead? Yeah, man. <laughs> something similar to that. Do- do you just have a sound for everything? <laughs> or almost? <laughs> so the term maiden world refers to paradise worlds created by Eldari technology through advanced terraforming techniques. Semi-serious nerd over on our Discord server had actually asked for this information or had asked about how this worked a little bit more in detail. So we, we gathered some details from them. The Eldari would target barren, lifeless death worlds, seeding them with life forms designed to start their slow terraforming process. This process started at the lowest levels with bacterium and other single-celled life forms being introduced in order to oxygenate the atmosphere. So they start, they take a dead world, completely barren landscape, and they introduce the right type of bacteria, the right type of algae, the right type of very, very simple life forms to start creating an oxygen-rich environment. So rather than do it by like brute force, they actually do it by natural encouragement. Yes, they seed it essentially, and this is this is technology that they would have learned from and techniques they would have gotten from the old ones. So over time, they would introduce more complex life forms to expand and stabilize the growing ecosystem. And once the process was started, or once a couple of these steps of the process have been started, it's a relatively self-sustaining process but it takes thousands of standard terran years to complete so they're they're not landing an atmosphere generator and turning it on for 30 years it's not a big nuclear generator that's it's polluting or doing something it's the same process that earth went through minus the cooling of the crust right right so start basically from the dinosaurs the death of the dinosaurs and then move from there well, I mean, it's starting with. It's I mean, it's going with, beyond. Yeah. It's going back farther than that. But I mean, yeah. just for for rough idea's sake, start there with that kind well, of a lot of these being the reset. A lot of these planets, when they're ready, when the Eldari consider them ready, they're essentially at the like late Cretaceous period. They're very, okay. very oxygen rich. They're very, very, you know, verdant, abundant life is everywhere. So the reason that they were making these worlds, by the way, is that they were planned for the development to meet the needs of the future Eldari colonization as the empire understood that its future population would have expanded needs. So the Eldari were developing these paradise worlds, these maiden worlds, well ahead of time because they knew the empire is going to continue to build, we're going to need resources, and we're going to need a place for everybody to live. So in the Eldari language, these worlds are called the Lilithan, after Lilith, the goddess of dreams. And I believe I'm pronouncing that. It's not spelled like the biblical Lilith. It's like little Eth, but I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be pronounced Lilith. 
Maybe Lilith instead of Lilith, but it's pretty damn close. Each of these worlds is an extremely rich resource paradise world. They're cultivated to be perfect environments for the Aldari to develop a coexistence with the nature of each world. So the idea behind these is that the Eldari wouldn't land like human colonists and start cutting everything down and mining everything. They would seek these places out to live as close to a coexistence of harmony as they could with the planet as it stood. Now, that doesn't mean that they didn't build these worlds. They built these worlds to their needs. This is just their preferred way. So it's not necessarily that they're better or worse than humans. They're just, they do it a different way. So while at their chorus definition, these worlds are all natural paradises, that also doesn't mean that they're not at times death worlds. As many were seeded with megadons, the term Eldari used for titanic dinosaur-like lizards they often prefer to use as beasts of burden and foodstuff. Since these worlds are verdant, vibrant, and resource-rich, many have become settled by humans and other xenospecies, such as the orcs. However, no matter how long another race may have colonized a maiden world, the Eldari still consider them to be theirs by birthright. Any population living on the planet are considered invaders and are dealt with as such, often in incredibly violent ways. When the Eldari come to take a maiden world, they go murder you or try. So the term Exodite was widely adopted a few thousand years before the fall, with those Eldari more consumed with the pleasure cults and unchecked hedonism, seeing them as extremists and fanatics, as we mentioned earlier, who were denying themselves the cho- and choosing these lives of misery. They chose their exodus. While many Eldari already had lives on frontier worlds, the mass migration that made up the bulk of what now are called the Exodites began in earnest in the early 26th millennium uh, by the imperial calendar with those who sought this lifestyle undertaking long and often dangerous journeys to the Milky Way's eastern fringes. They talk specifically, so the Eye of Terror is in the northwest. The bulk of the Maiden Worlds are in the east. They're along the eastern fringe. Um, That's not where they all are. It's pretty much any place far enough away from the Eye of Terror or far enough away from the core of the Milky Way to have been developed this way. But the majority of them being the farthest reach from the empire, the old empire sitting in the northwest, would be the eastern fringe. While some died in transit, either lost to space or in violent actions, others made planet fall to either perish as they met a green tide of marauding orcs or the dangers of other Xenos races. Sometimes they even fell victim to the mega predators that had developed on these new worlds. Mega predators. I love that. But like you, it's not alpha predator. It's not like giant dinosaurs. Uh, it's mega predator. How 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 big is a mega predator? That there's a big predator. We're gonna call him big predator. <laughs> it's bigger. It's smaller than a skyscraper, larger than a bread box. Uh, that's that. That's that D D question. How many hit points does it have left? <laughs> you hit it. <laughs> so a return to simpler times. While the craft world Eldari find the focus they need in order to keep their emotions and desires in check through the use of the Asuriani paths, and the Jukari largely continued to pursue the darkest physical desires and hedonism that led to the fall, the Exodites embrace a much simpler way of life, 
Having left behind the technology that automated many aspects of their civilization, the Exodites have returned to a cycle of working the land, planting crops and harvesting their natural resources from their worlds with their own hands. However, to be clear, Exodites still use tools, they still have armor, they still use weapons, things far more advanced than our current technology. And that's why, like, space Amish is funny, but it's not really fitting. <laughs> or maybe it is. Actually, the more I learn about Amish, maybe it is. The Amish are not yeah. nearly as into technology as people yeah, think they are. Especially, especially modern ones. Yeah. Exodites just live in harmony with their world rather than in opposition. They farm, not factory farm. They hand make furniture like an artisan, not let robots mass produce IKEA side tables. They ride and use beasts of burdens rather than exploiting their planet's natural resources and massive industries to build cars and yachts and spaceships. Their focus on living in harmony with their worlds, relying on themselves for working the land, herding animals, hunting their own food, and the other basic necessities of survivalism are often enough to harden them against any psychic backlash that they might face. While their psychic defenses are tougher and more brutal than their craft world's kin, it's also less refined and subtle, which can leave the Exodites at a disadvantage when compared to other Eldari. They don't have as much time to spend in rigorous study and contemplation. They're too busy living and surviving. So you get this basically like they're brutal, they're fast, they'll punch you hard with psychic stuff, but they're not going to like whisper slowly and corrupt you so is this kind of like where the like wood elf um yes similarities come in where they're they're more hardy but not as refined i guess yeah it's like comparing the wood elves of like like legolas's wood elves the mirkwood wood elves to like um rivendale like Mm -hmm. rivendale is all like marble and golden spires and all and then and yeah. then Mirkwood is like underground caves and trees riding horses and trees. And, yeah. yeah. Mm. It's just a different yeah. If you want to do that like high elves versus wood elves mm. comparison. Because that's what it is. It's high elves, wood elves and dark elves. In, in fact in fantasy. Yeah. In fact, in 40K, the craft world Eldari still cling to many of the luxuries that come with the highly automated lifestyle. Craft world Eldari don't farm. We, we talked about this when we talked about the past. You might be on the path of the biologist. You might be in charge of farming. But just like farming nowadays, there's big machines that do the harvesting. There's big machines that do the planting. You as a farmer in craft world Eldari society are a lot more about knowing how to control the machines that do the work than doing the work yourself. So there's a lot about craft world Eldari society that is still that kind of like lap of luxury, which is why they use the paths to keep their minds occupied in their downtime. So like instead of a farmer, it's like a botanist kind of thing. Right. right. It, it's the difference between it's the difference between I work, I physically work all day, so I'm nice and exhausted and I I have to make sure I entertain my mind for so many hours a day to become physically exhausted. Like the the exodites are doing the labor. They're doing it. So they're tired. You know, that they're the lumberjacks versus the, the book, you know, the, the, the book learned scientist. It's a lumberjack versus academic, essentially. What, what do they call you know, those things? Uh, not, not, oh, 
the hell do you call them? Uh, the, the guys that just wear flannels. <laughs> what, do you, uh, what do you call lumber, them, Kevin? Lumberjacks? I no, just no, no, said no. it. <laughs> a lumberjack versus like a... You're talking uh, about like the hipster people that can't actually yeah, do anything. Yeah, like lumberjacks versus hipsters kind of thing. Oh, like the, like the, the yes. joke name? It's lumbersexuals. Yeah, you mean my my favorite people? Because it's like, hey, yeah, do you know how this all works? Like, yeah, it, was, it was the the useless hipster people. Yeah, yeah it's like the, like, do you actually cut wood or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's they, it's, it's they the wear guy... flannel every day, wax their mustache, and wear overalls. But yeah, it's you know, the guy up their flannel sleeves, but they can't change yeah. a tire or like put a nail in or. <laughs> yeah. It's it's the. It's the guy, it's the people, it's the people who live a survivalist lifestyle in the middle of nowhere versus the people who dress like they're survivalists that drink Starbucks all day. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not, it's not that, it's not that necessarily either side is like better than the other. And and obviously in this explanation, you know, the Exodites, they stay on their path and they stay from falling to like hedonism by making sure that their lives are active and full of like physical activities and things that they have to do. The craft world, they took the whole, idle they hands do it thing. by like, yeah, exactly. Idle hands. Yeah. The craft world, Eldari do it by studying and contemplating and like fu- furthering their sciences and everything. It's just, it's, it's the other side of that coin essentially. So the craft world, Eldari regard exodites as rustic and simple while also viewing them as wild, vigorous, and incredibly extroverted. So they see the Exodites as, like, living these loud, these simple but, like, loud lifestyles. Exodites are more single-minded, self-reliant, and adventurous. They're able to live these lives and continue to do so because they are far removed from the Eye of Terror. So if a Craftworld Eldari decided to become single-minded, self-reliant, and adventurous, they become a corsair. They kind of get kicked out of Eldari society. They become a pirate. They become an outcast. And then since they don't have access to an infinity circuit anymore, they are at greater chance to being eaten by Slanish um, or falling to Slanish and becoming essentially a Drakari or worse because they're no longer in that society. Exodites can get away with doing it because one, their planet is essentially a craft world. Uh, and two, they've just, it's just the way they are. It's how they've always been. They never had that moment where Slanish wormed their, uh, its way, her way, his way into the back of their minds. So they don't necessarily have that like ever present pressure. However, the ever present hunger of Slanish also colors their lives because even though they don't necessarily have the temptation of Slanish constantly, Slanish still hungers for their souls. And the world spirit has to be protected and maintained because of this at all costs. So just like the Infinity Circuit, the world spirit is the most important thing on the planet. Exodite's worlds are savage and untamed. Their settlements minimal and designed to coexist with the natural world and the beasts that they share them with. Their settlements are also often smaller and scattered far and much wider across their worlds in further effort to lessen any imbalance or impact of nature that they can cause in any way. While some settlements might be the size of a small city and permanently occupied, most Exodites often pursue nomadic lifestyles, moving from place to place following the planting and harvesting cycles of the world staying only long enough to harvest the last crop and plant the next crop before moving along in the wake of the great Megadon herds. While Exodite worlds... Sorry? Megadong. 
<laughs> Mega dong. <laughs> I like it. While it's easy to see all Megadons as just dinosaurs, as they are Saurian in nature, Megadons is more of a catch-all for any world that has Titanic lizards on it. So this is kind of one, one of those, like, this is how the Imperium defines it. Megadons are dinosaur-like things that exist all over the galaxy. However, uh, the Eldari also seeded these worlds. So in many cases, the genetic difference in the Megadons across Exodite worlds are either very subtle or driven almost entirely by environmental differences. Also, in several cases, like the carnivorous Megadons the Exodites call dragons, the Exodites often bring the creatures with them when they settle the world. So not only did the Exodites seed these planets, or the Eldari seeded these planets, which is why there's a bunch of dinosaurs on them, but when the Exodites move to them, they'll also bring certain dinosaurs with them. So the dinosaurs being, Megadons being on all these different worlds isn't like a, oh, it randomly happened. It's very much a tailored genetics thing. It was tailored to be that way. That does not mean that all Megadons in the Milky Way galaxy are Exodite worlds, though. Megadons, giant fucking lizards, are just a thing that seems to happen a lot in Warhammer 40K. Almost like kids in the 1980s loved giant dinosaurs. <laughs> no, I so mean, these... it would also make sense to pick... If you wanted to pick a type of creature that could like exist across multiple platforms, like like you know planets, right. and something like resilient and yeah. you know epitome of like survival esque, like a lizard is kind of right, you know. And and what we understand about lizards is they can survive in pretty extreme conditions, especially yeah, exactly. conditions where the the atmosphere is more is hotter, wetter, and more oxygen rich. So these two factors mean that while there is a huge variation in these creatures, they're still easy to organize into simple categories. Megadon is a term used to organize diverse populations of large to titanic size reptilian herbivores, omnivores, and carnivores. So it really is, it's dinosaur. It's, it's the 40K future dinosaur word. These creatures often live on paradise worlds or death worlds. Planets which are warmer, wetter, and more oxygenated than planets that fit the needs of mammalian species, like humans. Exodites practice a combination of following and subtly herding the larger Megadon herbivores. Managing these herd populations in a delicate balance of the need for food and the need for the Exodites, the balance of the planet, and the balance of the Megadon species itself. So they're herding the Megadons and choosing to eat Megadons to make sure that the like delicate bio mass is maintained. They want to make sure that the biological scales never tip too far in one side. And that, that can happen on each side. If you overhunt the Megadons, they're going to die out. If you, let, if you don't hunt the Megadons, if the Megadons aren't being killed by something, they're going to outgrow and they're going to deforest the planet on their own actions. So they're, they're like pruning this garden by herding these animals. Exodites use every part of the animal they harvest, consuming the meat, using the hides to make leather clothing, armor, and tools, using the bones and horns as substitutes for psychoplastic materials like wraith bone. Many megadons are specific to certain worlds or even specific to certain needs. The gigantic herbivores are slow-witted and easy to manage, although they can be deadly when they are panicked. These are raised, maintained, and herded to provide the Exodites with material resources like food and leather. 
most often these giant megadon herbivores are depicted as being like uh, brachiosauruses or brontosauruses, the large kind of almost fun, soft dinosaurs. Long necks. Long, yeah. <laughs> Why do you call him that? Well, he's got a long neck. <laughs> long ass neck on them. Give that bitch a tree star. <laughs> These megadons can also be used as platforms for massive structures as the weight of even a small mobile town can go almost unnoticed by them. I think, uh, and the, there is art of this. Uh, it's, Exodite art is actually kind of hard to find, but when you can find it, there are art pieces of giant dragon-like brachiosaurs with huge temples, like bristling with guns and stuff on their backs. They just, they just, they dope. They just hang out. They cruise around. You know, they get it's led called, where they need to be led. It's called Ark Survival Advanced. <laughs> Smaller herbivores can be utilized as beasts of burden, transporting people and materials across the planet. So think um, like like the difference between a draft horse and a war horse. Your draft horses would be smaller herbivores. Smaller carnivorous megadons are often called dragons and are used by the warriors of the Exodite people. These dragon knights act as warriors as well as acting to manage the larger Megadon herds. The dragon knights are said to be born and raised in the saddle. Such is their skill. Using their lances with deft skill to redirect the massive beasts that they herd. Although they are deadly enough with their lances that they can land a killing blow in one shot against the most hardy and armored of Eldari targets. This warrior culture is extremely important to most Exodite societies as they not only drive their herds, but they act to protect the planet and their people when predators arise or invaders attack. That is kind of like, um, we had to, we, we've talked about Tom's Night Worlds a couple of times, and in a lot mm -hmm. of ways, this is, it's the same thing. These knights go out and they deal with those big predators, but most of the time they're just making the world work. Yeah, well, my, my worlds too also have exodus on them. Right. So while their nomadic lifestyles are pre-industrial, primitive, and removed from many of the luxuries of the craft worlds, the Exodites still possess many advanced technologies and the methods to use them. While psychoplastics like Wraithbone, the cornerstone of craft world technology, are extremely rare on these remote planets, the Exodites use similar methods to craft, grow, and cultivate the materials they use as a replacement. An exodite might psychically focus on weaving megadon bones into a complex structure, such as a structure such as large buildings or even weapons of war. They also utilize physical means to craft in bone, leather, stone, metal, and wood. So not only are they going to kind of do the same bone singing thing, um, in a lot of cases, again, to go back to the, the book, The Infinite and the Divine, the megadon bones that make up the temple that's featured in part of the book are woven into the trees. So their bones in the trees are like grown together, woven together and interlaced. Um, but they'll yeah, also do it. The bones into the growth of the tree. That's cool. Essentially. Yeah. But they'll also physically. So a craft worlder whose job is to make weapons is actually going to like interface with Wraithbone. And they're going to sing to it and they're going to manipulate it with their mind more than their hands to make a shuriken rifle. Exodites are going to make a shuriken rifle by carving the material they need for the hard stock and then building and manufacturing the tiny pieces that are needed to make it work. So 
the Exodites are going to do the brute force in, in, in a lot of ways. Well, sort of like you would, sort of like you would make an old musket. Yeah. Yeah. They're just as deadly and it's the same technology. It's just a different way of making it. So every Exodite world also has a world spirit an analog to the craft world infinity circuits. These are massive stores of psychic energy and the minds of dead Exodites. Exodites also make and wear spirit stones in order to capture their souls upon their death, just like the craft worlders do. When they die, they are taken beneath the earth into great tribal burial chambers. Their spirit stones are then shattered on altars that are connected directly to the world spirit's crystalline network. This transfers them into the growing and extremely potent psychic collective that makes up the world spirit. These complexes, along with the other megalithic structures of the world shrines, form a worldwide and completely interconnected network of psychic energy. This a is a wide web. <laughs> yep. This is a psychic energy grid, just like Wraithbone on a craft world. So in the same ways it can provide light, it can provide heat, it can grow things, it can produce things when it's talked to, they can touch it and interface with the spirits that are inside of it. It's, it's essentially, it's essentially the same as the infinity circuit. And in most ways, Ewa. Ewa. Yeah. The stone circles, standing stones, tribal barrows, and dolmens that make up the physical representations of the world shrines are also places where the spirit world, the warper immaterium, and the material world can interact and overlap. Just like in a craft world, this psychic network is extremely powerful vortex of psychic energy, and those who, who can interact with the world spirit at the world shrines can call upon massive amounts of psychic energy when needed. These megalithic structures also act as a host of webway gates, although the paths to access these gates is well hidden and closely guarded by the Exodites that act as wardens to these places. This enables Exodites to travel between Exodite worlds, travel to unclaimed, at least by the Eldari, maiden worlds, and other craft worlds, creating an interconnected and widespread culture. While individual Exodite worlds still maintain their own and often diverse societies and identities, so they're trading, they're traveling between one another, they're interconnected with the Eldari people, with the Asuriani, the craft world Eldar. As world spirits act in much the same way an Infinity Circuit operates, to abandon a settled world is leaving all those souls to the hunger of she who thirsts, and Exodites will defend their worlds to the bitter end. And with a savagery not often seen by Craftworld Eldari forces who can easily withdraw. So usually when the Craftworld Eldari are on a planet, the planet is not connected to the Craftworld. They can just peace out if the battle goes bad. If a battle is going bad for an Exodite force on planet, they're going to get meaner and meaner and meaner the smaller they're forced. And, and down with the ship, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Well, because if they lose that world... All of the exodites who have died in generations past are gone. It's, that's so, it. The uh, so many different things. They're like a little spirit circuit. Yeah, it, it also yeah. works like a mana pool, from what it sounds like, right? So they can pull energy yes. from that. And uh, interesting. And there is a depiction in one of the short stories of almost exactly that like it's a big like kind of reflective like liquid mercury looking pool that's like like liquid silver pool and one of the exodites what like wades into it and then she uses that to power her 
um, essentially farseer powers. So That's she interfaces dope. with everything. Yeah. And in, in the infinite, in the divine, the world spirits core, uh, Trazen wants it for his collection. I won't say what happens, but that's why Trazen ends up on the planet because he's interested in it. That world also, mild spoilers, that world also uh, was a tomb world that the Exodites turned <laughs> into a maiden world, which is makes an interesting like little loop back in the story. A little irony there, Ward Heaven reference. Yeah. Well, and, th- and there's a lot of that too. Like a lot of... It's it's I didn't put it into our notes and there's not enough information to really talk about it in detail, but there's implications left here and there and Exodite lore that one of the reasons that the Necrons didn't come back sooner is because of the Exodites. Like the Exodites know and the Exodites are acting to be wardens to certain parts of the the ancient state of the galaxy. Oh yeah. Actually I know that the Dawn of War storylines aren't technically canon. But uh, they reference that, that the Eldar know what the Necrons are and that, that oh, they've yeah. been like waiting on one of the planets. So they're like, no, we're totally here because we've just been waiting for these people to wake up so we can murder them. Yeah. Oh, no. The, the, in, in lore, the Eldar and the, the Eldar were one of the only, well, the Eldar and the Quark are the only two factions that we currently know of that actively fought against the Necrons at the side of the old ones. And the Quark aren't really around anymore. They've de- devolved into the Orc. So it's it's just, it's interesting. It's very interesting, the, all of the back history between the Eldari people and the Necrons. And when we get into the War in Heaven, eventually, <laughs> we'll talk about all that. And that's super ancient history. Like, I know, I know that we've gotten some questions on the side of, like, when we're going to hit Horus Heresy stuff, 30K stuff, and we'll get there. Um, the war in heaven stuff is like before humans climbed out of trees level ancient history potentially before the earth coalesced into a ball yeah i was gonna say probably before that yeah yeah (laughs) the the earth was just a a a shine in the eye of whatever (laughs) created the cosmos (laughs) right twinkle in the eye of terror yeah Swimming around the <laughs> swimming around the eye of terror's ball sack still, but but that's the weird thing is like we have a tendency as as forty k players to look at the eye of terror as being the super the eye of terror has only been around for ten thousand years. I mean, the warp's the been around was forever. A, but. The eye of terror was a twinkle in the Eldar's ball sack at that time. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I it's guess what would it be the the Catan? Yep. Yeah, the Satan are the Satan are the ones that were fighting the old ones. Yeah, so the Catan and the can the Catan and the old ones. That's it. Yeah, the War of Heaven. Uh, yeah, the War of Heaven is is it's interesting and it's very very in depth and it definitely connects a lot with Necron lore. So I like their soon. I like their their old name <laughs> before they became the Necron. The Necron tier. The Necron tier. Yeah, that yeah. just sounds so sick. Like, it does. The Necrons are probably up there. They they didn't used to be, but I would say over the last like. Like uh, over over the course of the podcast, uh, the Necrons, and and a lot of this is because their lore is being expanded right now too. But the Necrons have probably become they're probably in my top five now. I would say, I'd say old old style, yes, new like, oh, Necron- I like the new ne- well ne- Necrontier becoming Necrons right at that time to fight the like Catan or the old ones like that point yeah badass i don't like him so much now but back then 
you know, like that was, I like that. They wake up and they fight stuff. Yeah. Well, I liked it when they were a little more self-aware. Right. Well, yeah, that's what they're expanding, that they're re-expanding into that because back when, when they came out in like fourth edition, they were mindless and enslaved. Right. But as more of the as more of the tomb worlds wake up, the more like sentience they get, which it, it's neat. Yeah. But yeah, I, I agree. I agree, Beast, a lot. I like them as like the tomb worlds before they went to sleep. You know what I mean? Like because that's also too, like I look at all of that as like kind of more when they were in their prime, you know, same thing with the Eldar, same thing with the orcs, like yeah, that was like their prime moments, like the big big bashers, you know, and now they're just like old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're just like getting old. You gotta think of it yeah. like almost like the golden age for them. Just like Yeah, humans. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and that, yes, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like right now in 40k history, it's very much, you know, humans humans are starting to decline, but we're very much still in charge. We're very much still the top dog in the galaxy. Um if anybody is a top dog in the galaxy. I don't know. I, I think that's disputable, but that's another episode. <laughs> so while specific customs and other cultural trappings might vary from planet to planet, Exodite societies are almost all built around small tribal communities, a tribe consisting of several families working together in herding and farming, whether nomadic or not. So they're not all nomadic. Some of them don't move around. Each tribe will have a leader or small leading council. These tribes, in turn, will all will all owe fealty to a local lord or a ruling multi-tribe council. With all of these lords or tribal councils, then swearing fealty to a planet's king or queen and their royal lineage and tribe. So there's a king or queen of the planet. It's very it, it's a mixture of tribal and feudal society. Due to their low population numbers, there are, in general, very few causes for territorial disputes within Exodite society, and open warfare between tribes is incredibly rare. However, skirmishes between rival groups of Dragon Knights are common. Dragon Knights often attempt to steal away a rival's beasts, both dragons and megadons of their herd, or they might use their herd to take another tribe's grazing lands, so they'll specifically drive their herd to where somebody else's herd's going to be, as a kind of a, like, ha-ha move these actions are seen more like war games and the training that young dragon knights must go through to learn the rules of warfare the danger of death and serious injury that accompanies these war games is accepted as part of a young warrior's life these raids and smaller land squabbles don't ever pit tribe against tribe however and rivals would not stoop to stealing or despoiling the food and resources of another eldari tribe even if those resource caches are left unguarded for years. So they'll respect tribal boundaries while still fucking with each other, essentially. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, if if these guys are elves, I don't see, like, I feel like their uh, <laughs> maturity is way, way higher than that of, like, a human, where a human's, like, based off survival. These guys are more based off, like, uh, uh, more of, like, a the exi- the survival of their existence not so much the survival of themselves like a human right. would like being more selfish versus yeah they're a lot more interconnected with one another they also know how many maiden worlds are out there and how many maiden worlds haven't been settled yet so ex an exodite population will move to a new world for two reasons one they find out 
there are other settlers on the planet and fuck you, that's my planet, I'm taking it back. Or two, the population of a given world that Exodites are on starts reaching that tipping point where the Exodites go, okay, there's too many people here. So, you know, if you were to take a planet like Earth, say, and say like the the equivalent biomass that is needed for the health of the planet and the health of the citizens of the planet is like, I don't know, a billion people or 1.2 billion people or whatever, the Exodites will go, okay, we're at a billion people. We need to take a significant portion of, we 500,000 or 500 million people need to move to another world now. And then they'll move to another world. You know, whatever that number is, I, I threw a billion out kind of arbitrarily. Right, right. It could be a lot lower. It could be 100,000. When 100,000 Exodites are on a world, the Exodites might be like, all right, 50,000 need to move. It's probably not quite that extreme. But because of that, there's not really a need to war over resources either. They kind of stack the deck for themselves. They, they've got an untold number, not an uncountable, but an untold number of maiden worlds that they can expand to before they have to just continue to expand. And it's implied by the fact that the Exodites left during the height of Eldari society and they brought a lot of the tools and technology with them that the Exodites probably have the means to make new Maiden Worlds. So there is, you know, over the last 10,000 years of uh, since the birth of Slanish, who knows how many more Maiden Worlds they've prepared for their eventual use. It's not stated, but the groundwork is there. So while not a warlike people, Exodites still contain within them the pride and alien arrogance of the Eldari people, which can make them difficult and hostile to deal with. So Exodites will, in certain circumstances, tolerate other people living on their planets. It usually only comes to when they feel that the interlopers have crossed some barrier that they'll decide they're going to deal with it. However, in other cases, all bets are completely off when it comes to interlopers living on an Exodite world. And Exodites will wage bitter long wars to get rid of the Xenos threat. So sometimes they'll be like, eh, there's some human, there's less than 100,000 human colonists here. They're pretty much all in the north or they're all in the south or they're all around the equator. We don't care. Or maybe it's an Exodite force that has been dealing with orcs a bunch or maybe there's orcs on the planet or something else and the Exodite force is kind of beat down and not really at full strength. They'll tolerate whoever's there. There's, there's reasons they will. But on other times, Exodites will be like, you know, they'll send out some scouts and the scouts will come back and be like, oh yeah, there's an Imperial colony on, you know, World 5. And the tribal leaders will be like, oh, fuck no. And they'll send a giant force just to murder everybody who's on that planet. And then they won't even colonize it. They'll murder everyone who's there and they'll leave. Um, which often... Mega went it, off and they can't refuse. Yeah. So since the Imperium's recorded interactions with the Eldari is so limited that a lot of the Imperium assumes that the Eldari culture comes from the mix of human settlers interacting with Exodites. So this is the only time or one of the few times that the Imperium will interact with Eldari on a like one-to-one -one level is with Exodites or with uh, Corsairs. So a lot of the Imperial record comes from dealing with Exodites Corsairs are Jukari. <laughs> because of this, the Imperium has assumed that it is in the Eldari nature to be nomadic and tribal. 
Interactions between exodites and colonists of maiden worlds are far more common and survivable than other interactions, specifically with like craft world Eldari or Drukari. A lot of times when Imperial forces tangle with the craft world or the Drukari, they either wipe the force that they're, the Imperium either wins or the Imperium dies to a man. There's not a lot of like, oh, half of us escaped that happens. When they do have half of us escaped or like we came to terms and we both walked away, it's with Exodites. However, Exodite society is structured as it is, not because of some twist of nature and genetics, but because of how that they plan to live within the natural harmony of the paradise worlds. So the Imperium has a tendency to be like, the fracturous nature of the Eldari people is tribal, and these savages are at each other's throats day and night. Hum, 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 hum. These native savages of the new world. And the reality is the Eldar are just like, no. Why would 400 people, 400 million people live in three city blocks, you dumb idiots? Like, there's, there's other planets. Just move to another planet. Stop living in sky rises. Go to another planet, you dumb hick. So, like, you've got the Imperium, and it, you've got, like, the, you know, the, the, the Exodites are very much written as, like, elevated indigenous people. They're, they're indigenous people that understand how to live in harmony with their planet. Like, that's the, the trope, I guess, the sci-fi fantasy trope. Yeah, where they're like, uh, you kind of mentioned it at the beginning of the pod, where they're just trying to live on a planet and not disturb it in any way, just live among it, while yes. like, while like there might be might be humans on that planet, or you know, an imperial knight house, something of that, of that nature, nature. where they 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 don't really care unless it's a threat, then then obviously you know they'll act upon it, but other than that, they're just trying to live their life on that planet without making waves. Um, is what it sounds like. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Unless they get a wild hair up their ass and decide to murder everything. <laughs> yeah. So Exodite worlds are common destinations for Asuriani outcasts from the various craft worlds, as these are less hostile to outsiders and those who have become forsaken of the Asuriani paths. So when we covered the craft world Eldar, we talked about the path system, and one of the paths is the path of the outcast, and these are basically people that are done with the path. Um, pathfinders are a really good example. They're a, a big outcast. Corsairs are another outcast path. Outcasts will often seek patronage. Outcasts will often seek patronage with Exodite tribes, fighting alongside the tribal warriors as they enjoy the freedoms of the Exodite's life and lifestyles. On the other hand, the Exodites see outcasts as strange romantic figures, masters of hidden lore and a way of life that is both arcane and archaic. The outcasts are welcome as they bring skills, knowledge, and even technologies that haven't necessarily been seen in the courts of the tribes for years. So here's kind of that, the way that they see each other. So the Asuriani outcasts seek the Exodites out because that's what they're craving. They're craving that freedom of lifestyle. They want that survivalist sustaining challenge. They see them as being extreme and out there. The Exodites see the outcasts being from a Suriani culture as being these like masters of hidden lore, which they view as like mystical and ancient at the same time, because the Exodites understand that they left all of that behind. They left behind the arcane pursuits. They left behind the archaic knowledge in a lot of ways. 
without flat out stating it. There's a lot of like the craft worlds are Magnus and Prospero when Magnus and Prospero were loyalists and the Exodites are, you know, the white scars in a lot of ways. Like if you want to break it down to looking at it from a, a space Marine level, uh, it, they're just two different groups of people and they regard each other as like, you know, oh, well, when I learn everything in a library, my people learn everything in a library, your people learn everything in the saddle. And and the Exodites are like, oh, well, you know, we're cowboys and you guys is all into your book learning. Like you got that like back and forth between the two groups. Mm-hmm. But they don't look at each other in like disdain or anything, right? It's just kind of like a you learn this in a different in a different manner yeah. or a different lifestyle than what we did. And they're and essentially the Azirani are trying to like uh, be become Exodites, but they just have this knowledge. So the Assyriani in general, the Craftworld Eldar in general, um, who are who are the Assyriani, they view the Exodites as like backwater hicks, like in general. Right, but I'm talking about like the outcasts. The outcasts, yeah, the outcasts view them more as like a safe haven. Yeah, okay. You know, it'd be like, you know, kind of like in modern society, every once in a while, people just go, you know what, I want to live in the wilderness. And they hmm. and they go and will live in the wilderness. And there's you know there, there's people yeah there's people that live in it, it's van life. Every once in a while, somebody decides that they want van life, and there's a whole van life culture that will accept them with open arms. <laughs> <laughs> Their VW bus. <laughs> hey hey hey! I used to have one. I would be that guy. I would if I still had it. Uh, but yeah, so that that wraps it up for the Exodites. Not a lot of lore, although there are lots of hints and tidbits that have been left kind of all over the place. Researching the Exodites, there wasn't like a there's not a book that we can source. You know, we didn't go to a codex. Um, I went to like eight codexes and a couple of different online articles and a couple of different novels that I've read in the past. Uh, and I cheated a little bit by verifying information with some wiki articles and lexiconum. Um, several chunks of the infinite and divine, which we've mentioned to this episode, take place on a maiden world with a unit of dragon knights actually attacking Trazen at a, at a certain point. Uh, and, and in true Pokeball fashion, that unit of dragon knights now exists in a library. Oh, those are cool. (laughs) You're mine. (laughs) Haven't seen Um, one of those in a long time. I'm going to take it with me. So we'll be back to cover the Yanari faction during a future episode. The Yanari will only get an episode on their own because they've um, they don't have a lot. I, just like the Exodites, they're kind of they're being unlike the Exodites, they're being currently developed. Like the Exodites, there's not a lot of lore behind them, so they'll get an episode that focuses on them a lot, like this episode. Uh, and for those of you who are Jukari fans, we got you covered. They will have their own faction series. Jukari Society is actually quite a bit different from Craft World and Exodite Society and has to kind of be treated completely differently. Not only that, but even inside Jukari Society, there's like three different micro societies. The, the Jukari are very, very interesting. Interesting. That's the word, right? Interesting. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> So, yeah, if you guys are waiting on that specific lore, we do have you in mind. It is on the way. 
If you want to get a hold of us before that, you can email us at underthehiveofmadness at gmail.com or jimdarkgaming at gmail.com. You can also become involved in our Discord community. We love to share in all things Warhammer 40K, from the lore to the hobby. And from time to time, we even dip into the current tactical state of the game. We also love to talk about homebrew, lore, world building, and creative writing in general. So if you have something to share, that's another good place to find us. We also just like to provide a place for us to hang out and play video games sometimes, too. That is true. You can find us other places online with our website or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We have links to everything as normal down in our show notes to make it easy for you guys to find us. Please help get more ears to see, not to see, please help to get more ears on our content by liking and reviewing us wherever you get your podcast fix. Our home is Spotify and Anchor FM, but we aren't strangers to Apple, Google, Stitcher, and many more. If there's something that you like, if there's a platform you like that we're not on, please feel free to use one of those emails to let me know, and I will get on it as quickly as possible. We have a goal to grow our Patreon to 30 members so we can bring in an editor a little more officially. We have somebody who helps us out with editing from time to time. That's Ickbard. You guys might have heard his name or heard him talk a couple of times. We'd like to bring him on a little bit more full-time. You can help us with that goal over at www.patreon.com slash under the hive of madness. All Patreon members get access to a video version of our podcast episodes. There's about 30 minutes of bonus Patreon-only content at the beginning of those episodes, and we leave in a lot of the bloopers and fumbles we hit while recording. We do cut out things where, like, um, we all get up and leave the computer for five minutes or have to completely restart, and there's, like, a 10-minute break. But other than that, if we fumble across words or I say something stupid or I read a line backwards because I'm a moron, it's in there. You guys get access to it like that. You also get access to our painting contest that we run four times a year. There are a few other perks at higher levels, like polls about future episodes, art assets you can use to order custom objective markers, and even giveaways that we try to do a couple of times a year. So please head on over to Patreon and check out the different things that we've got. Misfit Alley Murder Fest has officially kicked off, with Crusader Corpse taking center stage tonight. The temperature is tolerable, the rat meat burgers under pig barbecue and starch corpse ramen is edible, and the fungi beer and rush shine liquor is flowing quite freely. Don't miss out on the festival's heavy death synth and grindcore lineup, including Echoes of Distant Suns, The Sump Slapping Kings, and Sticks Hive Massacre, hosted all week after third shift by the Nutty Jays. We are your light of truth in the echoing darkness, 665.66 UHMR Chemrat Radio. Remember, keep those Vox dials set and join us next time. Same ratty station, same ratty ass attitude. And remember, no matter what your hab partner says, don't say forearmed emperor in the mirror five times fast. Or you might just find what you're looking for. Or you'll get a tongue twister, either one. <laughs> You said five times fast. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that's five, not five how, times, that's not how that goes. Yeah, yeah, you do like, that. You're all five <laughs> times. No, no, no. You leave, you're five leave times it, fast. It. <laughs> it's perfect. Or a tongue twister. Either one. Uh.